Hey friends, my name is Christine Chapel, and you're listening to the Hope and Help podcast from the Institute for Biblical Counseling and Discipleship, where we host biblical conversations about life's challenging problems. In this episode, I chat with Camille Cates about her book, Moving Forward After Abortion, Finding Comfort in God. For more help on today's topic, visit ibcd.org forward slash hope and help where you can access notes from today's episode and browse-related resources from our digital library. Before we get started, let me introduce you to our guest. Camille Cates is a biblical counselor and public speaker with a passion for ministering to women in crisis. She has written and spoken extensively on the topics of pregnancy care ministry, post-abortion trauma counseling, sexual abuse, and God's design for sex and sexuality. She is the author of the book we're talking about today, Moving Forward After Abortion, and the mini book, Pregnancy Crisis, This Wasn't the Plan. Camille and her husband, Troy, have three adult children and reside in the metro Cincinnati, Ohio area. Hey there, Camille. Thank you so much for joining us today for the Hope and Health Podcast. Thanks for having me back, Christine. It's fun to be here with you. I cannot believe it has been almost five years since we first talked about this subject for the show. And we have so many new listeners now, you know, not too many people will go way back into the archives to hear those early conversations from when the show started back in 2019. And so today we're going to be talking about your brand new book called Moving Forward After Abortion, Finding Comfort in God. And so I guess before we get started, uh, can you tell us a little bit about why you wanted to write a resource specific to this topic? Well, I decided to write the book because even though there are a lot of materials already out there on the market that talk about abortion, some of them actually don't talk about the gospel at all. And so to have a really gospel-centered, scripture-rich resource that was easy enough for anybody to understand, even somebody who's unchurched, a non-believer, who may be hurting or confused or just curious after an abortion and what we're talking about. And so I really wanted to write something that was as if somebody was walking alongside them who had been in their shoes, but was bringing this comfort from the gospel and truth and, and grace as well. You know, a lot of the materials that are out there that are written from a Christian perspective jump straight to God forgives you. And that's true. And that's good. And we do need to hear that. But a lot of times women aren't even really ready to hear that or to receive that. There's a lot of external things, external situations and circumstances leading up to their abortion decision that may have just got them in a place where they need to work through some other things first. So that's why I I felt like it would be really good to have a resource out there to help answer some of those questions and help them move forward. I appreciate what you said just there, because I think it picks up on something so important when we're dealing with helping people to process griefs or hurts or traumatic events or anything of that nature is just that there's a complexity to the experience that isn't well tended to with just these one-liner statements of, oh, you just need this and then move on. I wonder if you can help us think now a bit more about the different ways. You started to talk about it just, just a minute ago, but about the different ways that abortion can impact women, you know, emotionally, physically, and spiritually speaking? Yeah. So I think 
you know, emotionally, it can impact us in a variety of ways. There's there's often a lot of common emotions that women experience, but we're all different. So we may experience them at different times or in different ways. But anger can be an emotion that is experienced, depression, anxiety, even numbness. So those are some of the emotional things. I would say even physically, also mentally. So for women who come from a generation who had a surgical abortion, like I did, there can be physical complications. Maybe they had a severe bleeding afterwards, or I know women who have had problems with like uterine scarring or damage to the uterus, and they weren't able to have children after the procedure. For me, you know, I, I was awake during my abortion, so I could hear the suctioning machine. And that, when you talk to a lot of women who have had a suction abortion, that's something that they say, that noise, like they just can't get that noise out of their head. So mentally, you know, things like a vacuum cleaner or medical equipment or an air compressor or any kind of loud machine like that can almost trigger a physical response, an emotional response, a mental response in a woman who is uh, post-abortive. So those are some of the physical, mental things. And then spiritually, it depends, you know, it depends on what kind of experience the woman had with God, their knowledge of God growing up or um, no knowledge of God. But for those who maybe grew up from a faith background, a Christian background, they can feel really distanced from God, you know, hiding in their shame and their guilt and their grief. And then for others, you know, maybe the situation leading up to the abortion and that God didn't kind of swoop in the last hour and save them kind of cements in their mind, oh, God must not exist. There are a lot of spiritual nuances that can happen in the heart and mind of a a post-abortive woman. I wonder if you might speak into some of the stumbling blocks that maybe hinder or prevent women from moving forward in the healing process. I think there's there's several things. Uh, I'll pick maybe just two or three that we can talk about. One would be when our guilt is so overwhelming for sin. And, and when you sin, there's true guilt. When it's overwhelming like that, we can refuse to address it. We can kind of, the Bible talks about suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. So, you know, trying to kind of push that out of your mind or excuse it or justify why you had an abortion, all those things can can be stumbling blocks that keep you from moving forward because we need to confess our sin before the Lord, acknowledge it and receive his forgiveness. I think another thing I've heard almost every woman I've ever counseled who's had an abortion, and I myself said it, at one point in the beginning, well, I know Jesus forgives me, but I just need to forgive myself. And you hear that a lot. In fact, I just heard it the other day in a Christian song. And I, I want to write the Christian artist and be like, where are you getting this from? This is this is not helpful. This is not helping people. You know, I think it comes from that place of wanting to atone for our own sin. And so what we need to realize is that scripture gives us everything that we need for life and godliness. And so if we needed to forgive ourselves, it would be commanded in scripture. And it's not, nowhere do we see that we need to forgive ourselves. We, we do see that we need to receive the forgiveness of Christ, that he's the one who gave his life on the cross for sin. And so we need to receive that so that we can move forward. A lot of times we just need to repent of pride is what's keeping us from receiving that and feeling like we have to do something 
ourselves to move forward from that. So those are a couple of big stumbling blocks that are pretty common with post-abortive women and men. I appreciated how you really early on in the book wrote about this sense that we have that, you know, after an abortion, that God is going to punish us or or what we're experiencing in the wake of abortion is the punishment. You write, quote, it's common for a woman who has had an abortion to question whether or not God will punish her for it. Can you tell us why did you decide to address that question so early on in the book? I think it's so prominent in the mind, in my, my own experience in, in working with other women, that there's this fear you know, that and I, that fear, when we have that kind of fear of God's going to zap me, God's going to get me, God's going to, you know, exact his retribution on me for taking the life of my child, that keeps us, that's an automatic wall hindering us from moving to the goodness and the love and the grace uh, that Christ offers us. So, you know, I think it's important to address it early on so that we can kind of break down that wall and move move forward, move past it to other areas of healing. We need that. If we don't, if we see him as a retrib as a God who's exacting his retribution on us, we won't see him as healer. And he is healer and that's what we need. And so, you know, I think a lot of women are fearful, usually around pregnancy, that they're not either not going to be able to have other children or the children that they do have are going to be taken away, that God's going to do something to punish us. And when you look to scripture, that's not the nature that we see of God and his reason for sending his son. And I love Isaiah 53, an Old Testament prophetic passage about the cross. And verse five talks about that the the punishment that we deserved fell on Christ. And so really to help those who are fearing God's punishment is that his that's not his nature because of the cross, because of what Christ has done. You know, Christ absorbed all of that wrath for our sin and removed it from us for those who place their faith in him so that we can draw near to God, so that we can draw near to God and um, he can bind up our broken hearts. So I think it's important to know that's not who he is. That's not his nature. And the punishment that our sins did deserve fell on Christ on the cross. And then we need to put our hope and trust in that. What did that process look like for you in terms of in the wake of that decision, wrestling with that sense of God's going to get me for this? Yeah, I I really did wrestle with that. I was a Christian at the time of my abortion. I knew what I was doing was wrong. I knew enough of the Bible, you know, that I knew that God is holy and that sin deserves his wrath. And that while Christ paid for that, I still, you know, had in this mind though, but, but God's, God's going to give us what we deserve. And when you think about that, what we really deserve is hell. So he sent Christ, you know, to, to remove that from us. But I really wrestled with is God going to punish me by not letting me have another baby? And I, I think my mind really conflated God's punishment with natural consequences. Because I know I, I've had friends and, and mentors who had an abortion. And uh, one of my mentors aborted the only baby she would ever have, she would ever conceive. And so, you know, in my mind, knowing that is possible 
why not me? Why wouldn't God do that to me? But God, you know, God is just so gracious and kind to kind of let us think those deep thoughts and then bring us back to truth and to himself. And even in that time, he was already sowing seeds of if this is a natural consequence, I could have, uh, I could adopt, I could adopt a child. I come from a family of adoption. I have a sibling that's adopted and God used that later. We actually did end up adopting a little girl from China later on. But God, I look back and God had already sown that in my heart before we even knew if we could ever have biological children together or not um, after my abortion. So it was something that I really deeply wrestled with. And a lot of the women that I've worked with, they really, really wrestled with that thought. You know, I know your your personal story, your testimony you've shared before, and we don't necessarily have time to get too deep into that, even though you do expand on it a bit more in this book and also in your mini book that came out at the same time as this more full length book. And so your mini book is called Pregnancy Crisis. Pregnancy Crisis. This wasn't the plan. And it's meant for a woman or a couple who's abortion minded, Mm -hmm. contemplating an abortion. Yeah, and I've read that mini book, and that is an excellent resource as well. So definitely commend it to our listeners if you're interested. And so I just I say that though because you do go more deeply into your story, and we as readers come to learn the the terrible circumstances that surrounded your decision. And you talk a bit about the role that extenuating circumstances might play in the decision to pursue an abortion. Maybe you can help us to think for a minute how we can process the relationship between the duress that we're in and the decision that we made. How do you help readers to think through that? That's a great question. That's why I think when you talk about abortion and healing and moving forward from that. It's not just an easy one and done. You can't like pattern out a counseling scenario where it's going to be the same every time because everybody's experience is different. It's important because at the same time, you know, if if we made the choice to have an abortion, like I made, I made my own choice. I was the one that at the end of the day said, yes, I'm going to do this. But there were a lot of other things that were surrounding that that made things complex in my heart and my mind. And those things hurt me just as much as the abortion, my own choosing my own sin hurt me. It was self-destructive. So, you know, a lot of women, especially Christian women will say, well, I know Jesus has forgiven me for my abortion and they won't they won't touch it anymore. But they don't they haven't really dealt with it or unpacked it. They just kind of said that and then tucked it back in the back of the closet. And, you know, there's so many hurts and decisions, maybe even more sinful choices. Like I was choosing to have sex outside of marriage. That was a sinful choice. I needed to deal with that before the Lord. Why was I in that type of relationship to begin with? So until we begin to unpack those things, we're not going to find the healing, the full healing and sanctification that we need to really move forward in full strength and joy in the Lord. So it's really important for, you know, counselors or if if somebody's watching this and you're going to pick up the book to really go through some of the questions in the book and, and answer and think through the different things surrounding that abortion experience and how it impacted you, why you responded the way that you did 
all of those things. God is God is such a personal God. He knows you intimately. He wants to have that conversation with you intimately to know and to help you see what was going on and to heal or to help you repent from certain things um, that were going on surrounding that abortion experience. I appreciate that you also in the book help us think more deeply about the different emotions a woman might experience post-abortion. And you mentioned a few of them earlier in our conversation. As I was just listening to you talk and you talk about, you know, this idea of, well, that's in the past. Jesus has forgiven me. I'm not going to deal with it. I haven't really dealt with it since then. I just take that forgiveness and run. And it almost makes me curious of how much of that unprocessed grief, unprocessed sin, the guilt, and all of that ends up manifesting itself in different aspects of a woman's life without her even recognizing that that's potentially a major contributing factor to some of the emotional duress uh, that she's experiencing even into the present day. And you talk about the fact that our emotions are like a check engine light. I thought that was a really clever way of, of helping us to understand emotions as a check engine light for our hearts. And that that check engine light may have been going off for a really long time for a particular woman. And, and she doesn't, it's not even aware or recognizing that there's something wrong under the hood, I guess you could say. Um, so can you talk a little bit about that, that check light analogy and what you mean specifically in the context of moving forward from abortion? Yeah, well, I mean, think about it this way. Aren't you glad the manufacturers of our cars built in those check engine lights? Because if they didn't, we might not know. We might, you know, hear a rattle or maybe nothing as, as, you know, as we're going down the road until, you know, something happens and then we're going to go, what's going on? What happened? But because those lights are there, they're indicative to us to say, hey, we need to stop. We need to pull over. We need to check out what's going on. And so, our emotions are God-given to us, and they help us to stop, pull over, and say, okay, God, what's going on in my heart? Something's wrong here. And we don't know. We didn't create the engine. Our God created our hearts, and He knows them best, and He wants to show us what's in them so that we can be transformed to be more and more like Christ. And so it's important whether you know it's anger or depression, sadness, anxiety, you know, fear, those things are there for a reason. They're kind of that low level hum sometimes, or like you said, you know, we can, you know, once the light comes on, we see it, but if we keep going, no, nope, that's not there. No, nope, it's not. I don't need to check my oil. I don't need to check my oil. After a while, your mind will kind of tune it out. Right. And we can do that with our spiritual lives until we blow an engine because we didn't check the oil. God wants us to bring our hearts to him to say, okay, God, we, I need help. I can't fix this, but you can. And so for the woman or man who's had an abortion, like I said, because all, all of us experience it differently, we need to take our hearts before our maker and say, what's going on inside, Lord, and what needs to be changed to be better? Camille, a few different times in this conversation, you've referenced men, and I it seems as though, again, I'm not well-versed in this particular topic, but it seems as though that's that's a segment of the population that's not spoken about all that often in terms of how does abortion impact the father? And so I, I, this is kind of an ad-lib question, but I think it's important because you've said it a few times about you know a man who's had an abortion and, and someone might say, what? what are you talking about? Can you explain how abortion 
impacts a man? Obviously, I'm, I'm going off of experience and, and just talking with different men or co- colleagues who've shared stories of men that have shared with them who have an abortion experience. And, you know, a, a lot of times it's kind of either one or two ways that they've experienced it, though there's some nuances there. Typically, either they were really pressuring their partner, their wife, their girlfriend, whoever, to have an abortion. So they were really the driving force. Maybe the woman didn't want to have an abortion, but the man insisted. And so then he feels guilty. Later on, he realizes what he's done. So not only has he driven the choice to end the life of his child, he's now also hurt the mother of his child in the process by pressuring her so heavily. And then there's the other kind of end of the spectrum where In our culture, it's my body, my choice. You know, women legally have all the options when it comes to abortion and and men do not typically have any rights as the father. And so I've known men who were devastated because their girlfriend or their wife, because of a medical prognosis, had an abortion and they didn't want that. They would have been willing to help a baby with special needs. They would have wanted that child. They would have been willing to take sole custody of the child, but yet the woman refused. And so they're grieving because they were denied that right that God had given them to be a father and they had no choice in a pro-choice society. So they're really hurting. And a lot of times because they're men and we still live in this culture that thinks that men don't feel anything, they do, they just hide it better than we do. And so a lot of times they feel like they don't have a place to go to. So it's amazing over the years, Christine, as as many times as I've spoken publicly, I can tell you the majority of people that have come to talk to me after I've spoken have been men than women. And a lot of them with tears and brokenness. And they're just, they're so glad to be able to finally kind of share the burden that's been on their heart. And then I can point them to help. Um, that they can walk with another brother who's been through that same um, situation and help help them. Thank you for just bringing that to our attention. I think that's definitely an important part of the conversation. Earlier on, when we were talking about emotions, and we just you just talked about check engine lights, and you mentioned one in particular that may not get the immediate attention, and that's numbness. When I think of overwhelming emotions, you know, for me and my own experience, I think of that sadness or anger or anxiety or guilt and shame and all those, you know, ones that kind of get a lot of attention. But that numbness aspect is one I think that doesn't get talked a lot about and you address it in this book. And so I wonder if you might expand a little bit on that sense of emotional numbness that someone might be feeling and help us to, you know, understand what's going on there and and how might someone move forward if they are feeling stuck in a state of numbness post-abortion? Again, we can't just assume that the numbness is is coming from the same place every time. I mean, I think typically it's either coming from a seared conscience. Somebody has just said, I'm not going to feel bad about this. I don't, I don't care. I did it. I'm done. You know, and they just kind of steal their heart and move forward and they're, they're numb to what's happened. I remember sharing with a woman and and walking with her in counseling and she um, just shared, she disclosed she had had a a couple of abortions for very selfish reasons. She didn't want to change her lifestyle. She wanted to keep going. And 
as she and I, we actually had a phone conversation and we were talking over the phone and I was sharing my abortion testimony with her and she just broke down and wept. And she goes, Camille, I've never cried over my abortions ever. And she just said, but hearing you talk about your experience. So I think, you know, that that's, that's helpful. God gives us a lot of times people that have walked in similar places to help us kind of feel again. And that seared conscience somehow, you know, by God's grace becomes tangible again and sensitive again. And so it was really, it was really good to see that happen in her life. I think others, they're just so grieved and they've just, they've got to keep moving forward. Maybe they've got other children that they have to take care of, or it's just almost too scary and too painful to let the topic of abortion come up because they're afraid, you know, they, they can control the numbness a little bit, you know, like as long as I don't feel anything, I'm good. Nothing's out of control. But once they kind of open themselves up to feeling anything, then it, it feels out of control. But either way, numbness isn't good because we need to feel, we need to feel sorrow over our sin. We need to feel grief. We should grieve the lives of the, the children that were lost and grieve that it's sin against God. And so numbness is, is not helpful. It will help us stay stuck. And so if you're in a place where your heart is numb from your abortion, it might be helpful to read or to listen to a testimony, mine or somebody else's, and then open yourself up to the Lord he is tender. He is kind. He is patient. He will walk with you, but he doesn't want you to continue to walk around with an, a numbed heart. Um, we were made to feel things, to feel joy, to feel gladness in the Lord. And so when you're numb, you can't feel those things either. And so God doesn't want us to stay that way. It makes me think of that a verse in Ezekiel, and I'm sorry, I don't know the exact address, but the verse in Ezekiel where the Lord talks about the fact that we have a heart of stone and that he gives us a heart of flesh. And when I think of heart of flesh, it's that that heart that does feel yeah. as it was originally designed to yes. before sin came into the world and hardened our hearts and hardens our hearts to be like stones. And so that just that's what came up to mind as you were talking just there. Another chapter in your book, you talk about processing thoughts related to the baby. There are a number of different thoughts that you address in the book itself, but there was one part that stood out to me where you talk about a journey you had with a counselee, a woman that you were working with, where you helped her to begin to put a possessive pronoun in front of the word baby. I'd love for you to explain what you mean by that statement and how that made a difference in her journey toward healing. Yeah. I mean, I wish I could say I was brilliant enough to think of that on my own. That's actually something that as she was walking through some scripture that I had given her and she and I met the next week, she had had that revelation on her own. The Lord, you know, she was working through the word and just praying and really letting him deal with those things in her heart. He brought that realization to her that she had never, she had always said, Oh, you know, the baby uh, that I had aborted or that. And she was like, Camille, that was, that was my baby. And so really honored her baby by finally acknowledging 
personhood, you know, the baby's personhood and that it wasn't just a baby that she had aborted. It was hers. And so uh, the Lord just really, she just expressed that that was just a sweet thing that the Lord had done for her. So many women have different experiences. I didn't, I knew it was my baby. I never didn't acknowledge that that was my baby. I knew that, but for her, and I think for a lot of other women, and that's kind of maybe part of that searing of the conscience is to not acknowledge things for what they are. And so for her, that brought a lot of healing and comfort from the Lord and was great. So it was a blessing just to watch. You also talked a bit about grief, specifically when you were talking about the men and the men's experience, you know, especially if they felt like they were powerless to prevent the abortion from moving forward. But, you know, you bring up grief a lot, too, in the book from the women's experience. And even in this particular part of the book where you're talking about the possessive pronoun and saying my baby, you say and encourage readers that it's good to take time to grieve your baby. Can you talk a bit about the role of grief and the journey of grief as as someone is trying to move forward after abortion? What role does that grief process have to play? Yeah, you know, and I'm going to honestly tie it back a little bit to what we were talking about numbness too, because I think grieving, allowing yourself to grieve can also be a way to kind of break break through the the numbness as well. But, you know, Christine, a lot of women feel like they don't have the right to grieve over the death of their baby because they were the ones who ended their baby's life. So, you know, I've heard, um, I, I have not had this experience, but I've heard other women say, you know, I just felt like I could never grieve. I, you know, we grieve over other people that we've known and lost, but for some reason they, they feel stuck or they feel hindered that they can't do that. So it can be really helpful for women to be able to finally grieve and to say, you know, I, I took the life of my baby and God, God grieves over that, but he also grieves over the loss of this little image bearer. And this was my baby and what God grieves over, I should grieve over too. And it's good to grieve the loss of life. And then I think the other part of grief is sometimes women because they've lived under justification, trying to excuse their sin or blame shifted to somebody else. Well, it was my boyfriend's fault. He pressured me, even though, you know, I went along with it. When they finally are able to own their sin of abortion, there's a grieving of sinning against the Lord. And a lot of women have never had that experience of grief. And it's so cleansing and healing and sanctifying to to acknowledge before the Lord, God, I didn't, I didn't just sin against my baby. I sinned against you. You know, and we see that, you know, in scripture with David, David has sinned against Uriah and Bathsheba. And this baby is born from that. And he ends up losing the baby. But he, when the prophet Nathan comes to him, David says, against you and you alone have I sinned, O Lord. He is grieved over his sin against God. And so when we don't hardly want, uh, women who've had an abortion don't hardly want to talk about it. We, We haven't hardly thought about it. A lot of times we haven't really thought about how we need to grieve that as sin against our holy God who loves us, who wants us just to acknowledge. And I think that don't let that be like a stumbling block, like, oh, you know, oh, I, I haven't grieved before the Lord, but anytime, if it was your spouse or a friend and you hurt them deeply, the way 
to come back and be in right relationship is to go to them and to seek forgiveness and to acknowledge what you've done to hurt them. And that's what God is waiting with open arms. He just wants us to acknowledge what we've done. And he's there to offer comfort and grace and mercy and forgiveness. So it's good. It's good to grieve before the Lord. I'm just listening and it seems like having someone to help you to work through these different kinds of griefs seems really important. I continue to appreciate the fact that you have these resources that will help that woman who is unsure and needs that support. Maybe she can't find someone she can trust right right away in her local church. And so we've got time for a couple of more questions. And so I'm thinking of practical help. Can you offer some practical ways that the local church can improve upon their care of post-abortive men and women? Yeah, I think really equipping your leaders. I think a lot of times for abortion-related topics and, and things like that, we will say, hey, this resource is available. Go pick it up if you need it. You know, we have a lot of people in our churches that are post-abortive that we may not even realize or have been touched by abortion. I've had conversations with grandmothers whose, you know, grandbabies were aborted and they're grieving and they're hurting. And so I would encourage churches to equip their leaders with these resources just for the sake of equipping and knowledge to know when that situation comes up because it's usually unexpected and we want to be equipped ahead of time. That's one thing is just equipping with those resources now and then Also, just, you know, remembering that we shouldn't just be talking about this topic once a year, you know, when January rolls around and it's Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, we need to be talking about this throughout the year because it affects people at different times and they need that hope and help. So I think those are two big things. I would say, Christine, we're headed into a presidential election year here in our country, in America, and this is a hot button topic. It will be blasted in news headlines, social media, all kinds of things. And we as Christians need to be careful of our conversations. We need to speak truth, but we need to be speaking the truth in love. And remember that some some in the audience, some on our social media feed are post-abortive. And so when they hear these things, are they hearing it with gospel love? Are they hearing it with truth and grace? And so those are just a few ways that I think we can really help the body of Christ to get better educated, better equipped on this topic so that they know how to have good and godly, sensitive conversations. We are about out of time. I want to let the listener know that if you're interested in learning more about Camille's book, Moving Forward After Abortion, Finding Comfort in God, or the mini book we also mentioned, Pregnancy Crisis, you can scroll down to the show notes, click the link there, and that will take you to a page on IBCD's website where you can access all of those links and and that information. Um, Camille, before we close out our time together today, I want to invite you to do something that I ask every guest of the Hope and Help podcast to do. You did it way long time ago, about five years ago. So we're going to get a fresh audio clip from you now. And I'd like for you to speak directly to the audience. There may be someone listening today who is struggling to move forward in Christ after an abortion. What would you say to this listener to encourage them with the hope and help of the gospel? I would tell you to trust Jesus. He is faithful. 
He is good. He is kind. I know that this journey can be really scary to open up things from the past, to revisit things, but he is there with you on your journey. Find somebody else too that you can trust, a trusted friend or a pastor or a counselor to walk alongside you. Share with them uh, a little bit about your experience. Ask them to pray for you and then to check in. Ask if you can check in with them occasionally as you're walking through this journey. Maybe ask them to read the book with you and to pray for you. And you are loved. God wants you to be healed, to be sanctified from the past, and to be able to run for his glory uh, full out and move forward from this past abortion. So thank you so much for those words of encouragement. And Camille, if there's someone listening today who's interested in getting connected with you and your writing ministry, do you have some places online where they can follow or or connect with you there? Yeah, I do. I so my website is a grittygospellife.com and you can use that same handle to find me on Facebook or um, Instagram, a gritty gospel life. And Christine, if they want to get a free um, preview download of an excerpt from Moving Forward After Abortion, they can go to the website, a grittygospellife.com and download a, a free excerpt. Awesome. Well, good. That's something something you can do right after you stop listening to this conversation. You can go to Camille's website. That link will also be in our show notes, so you can check that out. Well, Camille, again, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk with us about this important topic today. I'm so thankful for the way that you've stewarded your story for the benefit of the body of Christ and hope that the listener was encouraged with the, the gospel hope and help that you shared with us today. So thank you. Thank you for having me, Christine. It's a pleasure. Before we let you go, I'd like to remind you to visit ibcd.org forward slash hope and help. There you can check out the show notes from today's episode. If you enjoyed this conversation, why not subscribe to the podcast? That way you'll be notified when new episodes release. Also, please don't keep the Hope and Help podcast a secret. If you know someone who could be encouraged by listening to this episode, please do them a favor by sharing it. Thanks so much for joining us for today's show. Be sure to join us next time on the Hope and Help podcast.